Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way and then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Garden Church Podcast. We decided as we were looking at kind of what we wanted to do, uh, bridging out of the culture conversations we've been having, kingdom culture conversations over the last several months, uh, and thinking through into the summer and then into the fall, uh, what we wanted to kind of... um, uh, uh, focus on, and we noticed on the calendar that uh, for a variety of reasons, I, I have a rare privilege of being, uh, it's privilege for me, it might not be for you, uh, but for being here for the next three weeks. And uh, that's unusual for me because I serve other churches and support them in their uh, ministries as well. Uh, and so we kind of brainstormed what what do we want to say over these next three weeks particularly, and then as it turned out to leverage into a fourth week uh, uh, in partnership with Michael, uh, that might be helpful for our community, given who we are and where we are and where we're going. And we landed on this topic of identity, um, which is a hot-button issue in our culture today. Politically, uh, we talk now increasingly about identity politics. We talk about um, uh, uh, identity as a, as a very 
chaotic and it seems that every passing star gets somebody attached to it as a, a, a definer of identity. And so we thought it would be worthwhile just to take some time to go back to the basics, kind of a, a Newt Rockney, gentlemen, this is a football uh, moment for those of you who are old and will recognize that reference. Um, uh, but nonetheless, it, back to basics, back to the kind of the core understanding. And a lot of this, because this has really framed a conversation over the last 10 years as the garden, will be uh, repetitious. I don't apologize for that. I, I think uh, we live in a culture that constantly bombards us with messages that pull us off center, that m misalign us, that, that, that get us chaotic and confused uh, about uh, very basic things that we really core believe. And so it's worthwhile just going back and kind of rehearsing the kind of the ABCs almost. So we'll do uh, this in three, four conversations. First one today, we'll be talking about what the kind of who are we and what are we here for, right back to Genesis and looking at the two passages of Scripture that define that. Next week, we'll look also at Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, what happens to us and to the world when we forget who we are and, and how does that go sideways. And I, I'm hopeful that you'll be able to see the mirror uh, uh, in the mirror of our culture today uh, as a straight line from the Genesis 3 forgetting to the realities that we're dealing with today. Uh, and then uh, the third week, I want to talk about the wrestling match that occurs as we leave the false self uh, on the way to becoming again who God says we are and, and what that looks like. And then in the fourth week, uh, Michael will talk about how Christ comes to restore identity and then what the implications of that are uh, going, going forward. So I think it'll be a, 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 an important conversation. If you're going to miss any next week, is really going to be a downer. I uh, just want you to know that. So you might want to podcast that one. Um, that's, <laughs> that said... Um, uh, because what, th this, is, this is, uh really been heavy, because I talk about this in one form or another quite a bit. Um, and this particular, this season, I don't know if it's just the season we're in uh, as, a, as a culture, as a, as a church. I don't, I don't see it that so much, but I see it as our, our cultural conversations, really at the end of the day, our identity conversations and we don't know what the hell we're talking about. We're chaotic, we're confused, we're yelling at each other, we're thinking that our volume proves something, uh, and we're, we've lost our way in no small measure. And it's heartbreaking, and there are times when, candidly, it's just, let's get the cans of chicken noodle soup and go up to the mountains and wait till Jesus comes. You know, let, let's get out of this. This is, this is, not, this is not salvageable. Uh, but I, I, I have been drawn back over and over and over again by the Spirit, I think, to the reality is that you don't get to do that. If you are who I say you are, you don't get to abandon the people to whom you were sent. Um, and so that's why I, I think it's an important conversation. And uh, we begin in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, where we begin everything, literally, 
God said, let us make humankind in or to be our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the livestock, and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, over every living creature that moves on the earth. So there are a number of things here, not all of which we will be able to get to. So this is going to be kind of a, a, a snapshot at key moments. The first thing that we need to understand is our identity is stated here in the first chapter. We are part of the image of God. That's who we are. That's our identity. Is that clear? And the, and the, reason, that, the, the, the reason I want to say part of is because, remember, identity here, image here, is not individual first. It's communal first. It's humankind that is the image of God. Every man, woman, and child, since, since the beginning of creation to this moment, all of us together are the image of God. I'm not the image of God, but I'm part of it. You're not the image of God, but you are part of it. Now, there are some massive implications that flow from that. First of which is, I need to mind my own business really, really well. Because if I, as part of the image of God, don't show up for work, that has ramifications rippling out to this network of relationships in which I find myself. Which means also then that I can't be minding your business because that will distract me from minding my business. I have to be fully myself, right, in order to image God well. And myself is defined in relation to community, not the other way around. So community, humankind, is the image of God, and I get to be part of that identity, and then my identity takes its meaning, value, significance, worth, and sustenance from my connection to that larger whole. Does, does that make sense? Uh, and and this, is, this, this right away already, you can feel it, start to fly against our culture which prizes individuality over community and then wonders why we can't make community work. It will never work. You can't get a collection of individuals and smush them together and call it community. That's a technical term. But it doesn't work. Because inevitably, the individuality will press when, when pressed against. So, so th that's the first kind of core issue. We are created to be, um, uh, uh, as a human community, uh, the, the image, and, and the, you heard me kind of tweak the translation a little bit, which I think is probably a little closer to what the Hebrew had in mind here. It, it's not just in the image, it's to be the image of God. So we are created to be God's image, God's representatives, God's ambassadors, God's placeholders. We are to stand on the earth representing to the earth the character of him in whose image we are created. 
Does that make sense? So that's our core identity. We are the image of God. Amen and amen. Let that sink in, please. You, sitting here this very morning, broken and battered as all of us are, still at the core, at the very center, the DNA, the aligning principle of your very precious, wild and wonderful life is that you are part of the image of Almighty God who spoke the universe into being. You are a spoken word of love this morning. More than anything else you are, please, that's what you are. That's who you are. Because God is love. And when God speaks, it is an expression of love. You are the image. You are the word. You are the representative of a God who is love. So that's the first kind of core image uh, that we have to kind of um, uh, get our heads around. And please notice that because community comes first, because humankind comes first, that clues us in to how image, how identity is both expressed and maintained. I need to have a, um, uh, and this is, gets more into the second chapter, but a contained sense of myself in relation to in collaborative, cooperative, relational, non-competitive relation to the rest of humankind. Because every other person is, like me, part of the image of God. Now you can hear what goes sideways when any other marker of identity becomes the primary way in which we are known. Skin color, gender, ethnicity, birthplace, socioeconomic status, as soon as those become markers of identity, we forget and we start to us and them the world. You see what happens? So I have to first of all remember that not only am I part of the image of God, the very spoken word of love, so are you. And that means in my orientation to you, my treatment of you, I have to be driven by, called by the deep calling to deep that is you, and more particularly the mind of Christ in you that resonates with the mind of Christ in me. Is that making any sense? So as we get that, that, that kind of core issue, Please notice here that, that, that our identity as individuals then is really, really important as part of the collective whole of humanity, part of each part functioning interdependently. Now, what enables this to happen is our dependence on God. You'll notice image has function, image has responsibility, and that is to care for the planet. The word rule here does not mean supervisor, superintend, or be the CEO of. Think of how God orients himself to his creation, and you'll get an idea how he intends us to orient ourselves to the creation. He trusts it. He says of it, it is good, four of the six creative days, and with that declaration, it's good, which means it works. It functions. It does exactly and precisely what I created it to do. 
So God releases his creation with capacity and without control. He trusts it. When we then step in as rulers, as part of the image of God, guess what our orientation to creation has always also to be? We are not to be superintendents of it. We are to trust it. We are to care for it. We are to uh, release it, if you will. And then, God says, when you do that, it will bless you. It will bless you because it recognizes in you a collaborative, cooperative, relational connection, and it can trust you as you trust it. Do, do, do you see? So, so we are here to care for the planet. The idea of rulership here, again, like I said, is not CEO. It's, 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 it has, it has, the, has, the, has this, this idea of stewardship uh, involved with it. Uh, and, and so that becomes a part of the image, which means then, because I'm part of the image of God, I have a part to play in, alongside you who have a part to play, and our part is not determined by necessarily our gender, our race, our ethnicity, our age, or any other thing. It's determined primarily by where God has spoken us to be. So when I dishonor or disrespect your role, I am functionally dishonoring and disrespecting the one in whose image you are created to be part of. So please notice a couple of kind of core issues here. First, image comes as primary before gender, before, before I'm a man, I am part of the image of God. And please notice, it flows that way, not that way. This has gotten us into trouble because we've we projected backwards, right? We, we think because, uh, well, you, you know what we think, and it gets us sideways. So, so, so as long as image defines masculinity, not masculinity defining image, we're, we're going to be okay. The river flows in this way. It flows from image to gender. It flows from image to sexuality. It flows from image to role. It flows from image to responsibility. It can never flow the other way without damage. And, and this is, again, you, you understand where I'm going next week because we see all around us what happens when we take the markers, the, 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 the expressions of identity, and make them identity. No, no, no. They're the expressions of it. They are not what it is. Like creativity is a wonderful expression of my part of the image of God. Thank God for it. But it's not the image of God. I am. Yeah? And, and, and that means my creativity is subject to image and community and builds up and supports and enables community, not primarily as a full, free, irresponsible expression of individuality. You see how this starts to work itself out, I hope. Yeah? 
So image is, 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 is before gender, before any defining roles. Um, those are expressions and valued ones, uh, but, but um, uh, it, it, it's not creativity uh, or any of the other dynamics that flow, flow out of that. So it's, it has this idea of function uh, to, to stand in this um, intermediary role, if you will, between God, the creator, Elohim, who spoke it into being, an expression of love, and then the creation which was spoken into being. The, the humankind sits in this middle, middle space. Psalm 8 revels in this. What is, what is humankind that you are mindful of him? You have made us a little lower than the Elohim. And we struggle with how to translate that because the logical translation of Elohim is God's or God. It's God's name in Genesis 1. But we struggle with the audacity of that translation because it can mean uh, counsel of God or can be used occasionally to speak of angelic hosts. You have made him a little lower than the angels. Okay, I feel a little safer there. That's not what it says. It says you are made a little lower in that intermediary role than God himself. Paul says this very, very clearly in 1 Corinthians 6. Don't you know we will rule angels? Hello. Do you see what he's up to here? You have made, what is humankind? That you are mindful of us. You have made us a little lower than yourself. You have put us in charge of all creation. Stunning in its audacity. And God help us if we get it wrong. God help us when we get it wrong. Because he's the only one who can. Yeah? So this, this idea of this intermediary role is developed more fully into the second chapter, which we'll look to uh, uh, as, as we look. So, so God trusting his creation, our serving in this care, um, uh, uh, environmental space. It's like I, I say, uh, cows uh, don't take well to supervision. They tend not to do what they're told to do, right? And they actually... How can you supervise a cow? You don't know cow things, so you can't tell them how to do cow things better than they already know how to do themselves. Your job as this intermediary role is to create the environment and protect the environment in which their full cowness can evolve and be expressed. How does that feel? Now extend that to the rest of creation and you get a feel for what being a steward of the gift of creation is about. Because that's what God does with you. That's what God does with the rest of his creation. He creates the environment. And he, it's not that he's distant. He's actually involved and present. Everything that is, is breathes with his life. It is alive with his spirit. God is in everything. Everything is not God. But God is in everything, and Acts chapter 17, everything exists, lives, moves, have its, has its being in God. So we are, are not talking about a layered universe. 
We are talking about, a, a, if, if you will, kind of an imaginative spherical space within which God holds everything together by the power of his word. And we are the next layer in, if you will, caring for the rest of creation, which like us in some measure and unlike us in other measure, is a spoken word of God. Okay? Does that, that make sense? I hope you're feeling really good about yourselves because this is where your story starts. This is your story. You do Ancestry.com and it will take you back to Genesis chapter 1. You are part of the image of God. Any other trace you get is secondary to that. Right? Unless you're Dutch. In which case... Because if you're not Dutch, you ain't much. That's what my grand... Don't leave angry, just... All right, so we're sustained in our identity by remembering who we are and more particularly remembering whose we are by maintaining dependent relationship on God who establishes our identity and by maintaining interdependent relationships with the rest of humankind and then by expressing that identity in our patterns of relations to the rest of the world. Then chapter 2, the second story of creation. Please notice chapter 1, the story of creation ends with the creation of humankind to signal poetically that humankind is the apex, is the crowning glory of creation. That's chapter 1. In chapter 2, the creation of humankind begins the story of creation to signal that humankind is the cause, the reason for the rest of of the story. That begins in chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man now from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So a couple of things real quick here that we've talked about before, so I'm going to snapshot them very, very quickly. Darren already alluded to it. We are this combination of dust and deity, dirt and the breath of God. Anybody else besides me feel the tension between those two realities all the time? Anybody feel the pull of the dirt every once in a while? Everybody feel the longing to be more than the dirt every once in a while? That's the nature of our creation. We don't have a soul. We are a soul. A soul is the combination of dirt, physical, spirit, spiritual, you have a body, but you're not body. You have a spirit, but you're not spirit. Body plus spirit equals you, soul, a living being, a, 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 a human being, all right? So we're not animals, we're not angels. Please notice, or, or the spiritual beings. Notice, again, this signals our place in the world in this intermediary space. Because we can speak both languages, if you will, the language of the spirit and the language of the natural sphere, we, can, we are, are, are built to exercise responsibility to, to, to mediate, if you will, to stand before the creation on behalf of God, to stand before God on behalf of the creation. This is our role. This is woven into the fabric of our being from the very very get-go. We are, are, are built for that, right? 
And of course, this requires us to have this alignment of obedience that uh, is talked about here uh, also in this same chapter. Uh, please also notice, I didn't have time to include this, but, but coming out of this then is the creation of Eden, the Garden of Eden, right? And, and, and the point of the Garden of Eden is twofold. One is that it is a place on planet Earth where spirit and matter can coexist equally. It's a thin space. There are four rivers in Eden, two of which are known in history and two of which have never been known in history. I'm going to suggest to you that there are two rivers that are the material world and two of the rivers are the spiritual world. Eden is a place where heaven literally touches earth. And we are built to live in an Edenic space being able to breathe the air of the heavens while still firmly planted on the dirt. That's what we're built for, right? And, and of course, when we forget who we are, what happens? We lose the ability to breathe. We lose the ability to breathe. Uh, and there are massive implications that come out of that. So that's the first thing. But the second thing is to remember that Eden needed care, work, in other words, is not a mark of our Genesis 3 rebellion. Work is an expression of our Genesis 1-2 identity. You are built to work. It's an expression of your identity. Not, it's not your identity. If you forget what's what, guess what happens? Work becomes your identity. Anybody know one or two folks for whom that has happened? Right? No, 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 no. Can't do that. And it ha doesn't just happen at all white guys. It happens all along the line. Do, do, do you know what I mean? Jude and I are, are in this process right now. We're thinking, I'm 65, and I'm thinking, what does retirement look like? And I just realized, I don't want to retire. I want to keep, I, I, I like working. I like getting to do what I get to do. I want to work at a pace that is manageable for my, 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 my age and for my capacity. But I want, to, I want to come alongside young people and support and encourage and, and, and get out of their way and rabbi them and support them and cheer them on. I want to keep doing that as long as I possibly can. Retirement is not a biblical concept. Okay? Now, what that means is, however, clinging for dear life to a job because that's who I am is also not a biblical concept. And do you understand what happens, right? Why, statistically, it's changed a little bit now, but statistically, the average person doesn't live to recover two years of Social Security payments. They die having left their identity called their job. That's what happens when we forget. No, we get, the, we get it backwards. Do, do, you, do you see? But all that said, we're built to work. That's why God created us, and that's why the Garden of Eden and the rest of this place matters. Please notice it's echoed from Genesis chapter 1. So that's two quick things in, 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 in there. Uh, then down in verse 18, uh, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. So I will make him a helper that is suitable for or that corresponds to him. So the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals, all the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. 
So the man gave names to all the cattle, the birds of the sky, the wild animals, but for the man there was found no suitable helper, one who was like him but corresponded to him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, literally one of the man's sides, and closed up the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made a woman from the side which he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And this is why... A man leaves his father and his mother, is united to his wife, they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. Back up to verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good, it doesn't work, echoing the Genesis 1, we've talked about it before, it's non-functional for the man to be alone. And while our initial thought is, well, no, duh, there's no babies that come out of the man being alone. It's not good in terms of the multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it aspect of our identity. But you'll notice that nowhere else in the rest of the narrative are children mentioned as part of the outcome of a good or not good creation. And that is because, while that is true, not just technically but literally so, the point of not good is not that Adam can't by himself, the man can't by himself have children. It's that by himself he's not a person. He's not human. It doesn't work for the man to be alone. We need other persons with whom to be in relationship in order to be human. You cannot be fully human, apart from relationships with others. This is the echo of the Genesis 1 narrative. Is that making sense? So the not good piece is, uh, I, 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 need to, I, I need to make him a helper. Uh, the Hebrew word here, <clears throat> here is etzer. It's used roughly 19 times in the rest of the Old Testament, two of them in this passage, so 17 times in the rest of the Old Testament. Etzer refers to God. So unlike the English in which helper, helper ends up being feeling like diminutive or support or an assistant, kind of like hamburger helper, it, 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 doesn't, it, do, it doesn't function that way in this particular case. In this particular case, etzer means something like, I, it's not good for the man to be alone, so I will make him a being who will be to him as I am to him and enable his existence. That's what other persons are to you. And it, you'll, it, it goes here into the idea of marriage, but in this particular case, it's all other persons. Yeah? But here's the problem. One who is suitable for him, but who corresponds to him. Hebrew has a beautiful way of speaking of this. Hebrew is a limited vocabulary language, but it is so dense and so rich that sometimes it takes a whole phrase in English to say what Hebrew says in one word. The Hebrew word literally means the same as him, but different from him. Same, but different. And what it's getting at here is precisely the point that we talked about. He needs to be fully individuated and in community. 
One who will be the same as him, but different from him. Perfectly differentiated from those around, but in collaborative, cooperative, relational community. That's what's required in order for the, us to be human. So the first uh, attempt, God creates the animals, brings them to the man. The man exercises authority over them by naming them and thus proving that they are disqualified from capacity as helpers. Any being over which the man can or does exercise authority is not going to be a being who will be to him as God is to him, enabling his existence. So authority cannot creep into human relationships. Inevitably, it will damage our humanity. Can I get a witness? And it's not the good people having authority over the bad people. We will learn from Genesis 3, there are no good people. Now, our story doesn't start there, but we've got to go through that valley of the shadow of death before we get home in time for dinner. You with me? So that's next week. I told you, don't want to come. So, uh, 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 so the, the Lord causes deep sleep, and, 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 and th this is another place where the Hebrew is, is so evocative, and the English fails at it. The word is not actually probably best translated rib, removing a rib from the man. It's literally side, like, like, like if you can think of the, 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 the two doors that are paired, that's the word. So, so God removes a side from the man, closes up the flesh, forms a woman from the side which he has taken, brings her to the man who now says, this is now bone of my bones. This is me, but he then says, no, this is Isha, woman, because she was taken out of Ish, man. So the, this is me, but different from me. And in this particular case, it speaks of the relationship between husbands and wives, men and women, but I think we can extrapolate out there, uh, and I think we need to, that we are built for relationships in which we are differentiated, but in community. You, you with me? Is this making sense? Okay. It makes sense in my head, but I'm never sure that that comes out. Um, so this is, this is why then he goes on, and, he said, and there's a whole lot we could develop on that one, but here it says, this is why a man leaves his father and his mother and cleaves to his wife so they can become one flesh. What he's after there is not simply an independence, it's independence for the sake of interdependence. That leaving of home is not just physical moving out. Please notice it says specifically to the men because in that culture it was assumed that women who had lost their place as part of the image of God culturally and had become property, it was assumed that they would leave their families of origin and simply join into and become part of their husband's family of origin. And Moses is here saying, who I believe is the editor of this passage, no, no, guys, that's not going to work. Not if we want humans out of the equation. If we want human beings, both the woman and the man have to leave their families of origin, differentiate using modern sociological language, differentiate from them in order for them to have an unfettered capacity for oneness without the damage 
of handing on the pain and problems of the previous generation. Does that make sense? So we need to be differentiated from the systems which once gave us meaning and significance, right? And for the sake of relationship. And then it finally ends with this uh, evocative phrase, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame, which while maybe a description of the physical reality, what he's getting at there is that they knew each other and were known by each other. My code word for that is intimate. They were intimate with each other. Please notice, you cannot reduce intimacy to sexuality. If intimacy reduces to sexuality, it will not be long before you do not have any intimacy. You might still have sex, but it will not be intimate. It will become a biological function. Do you, do you see? Because sexuality requires five-dimensional intimacy in order for not to damage the soul. And five-dimensional intimacy, Darren alluded to them, physical and spiritual, the two primary ones, and then the three secondary ones, emotional, social, and intellectual. So we're built as human beings to have five-dimensional intimacy with other persons. And that is what enables our humanity. Now, please notice, in order to do that, I've got to show up for work. I've got to be fully myself and be willing to be known by others in five dimensions in appropriately boundaried relationships. Everybody still on board? Yes. This is really critical, as you can imagine. So that means men need relationships of five-dimensional intimacy with other men and with other women. Women need relationships of five-dimensional intimacy with other women and with other men. Now, that's why boundaries are so important. Because we're, you notice how difficult this is. Our heads have been so trained to equate intimacy with sexuality, we can't possibly imagine a healthy, wholesome relationship between a man and a woman that doesn't drift into that ditch. That's how far away from who we were created to be that we have drifted. But I need to say what the ideal is so we can have some sense of where we're going. Are you with me? So, so, so we, we are required for that, uh, whether married or single. This is not about that. This is, this is about being, being human. And, and so it has to be properly boundary, properly differentiated, so that there can be relationships of intimacy. So that's the kind of the first conversation on, uh, on identity. We're, cre we're created as, as part of the image of God. Uh, it, it is communal before it is individual. Individuality is an expression of the community and given validity and meaning by the community. You know how it is. If you're an individual without community, you're just a nut job. Right? Your individuality is supported by community and lets you be eccentric. If it's going to be a wackadoodle identity. You know what I mean? Everybody's got an uncle or somebody that's just like, <sighs> but he's ours. You, 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 you know, uh, that's, that, that's that idea. Then the core, core piece of this is that it is expressed in a variety of forms, expressed in creativity, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I think you know where we're going with response on this. 
because some of us are lost in the dark. And I don't want you to wait until week four. Uh, John's going to come up and we're going to take a few minutes and just invite you to response. But would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church. Well